freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number 234 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm the other guy, Dan Todd. Our guest today is Raziel Cohen, the tactical rabbi. Raziel has been training and instructing some of the best in the country. He's a NRA and DOJ certified as well as being approved by Homeland Security. Raziel's training courses range from basic fundamentals, home defense, and even active shooter response. He also consults houses of worship schools, and businesses to learn how to structure and fortify themselves against individual threats and civil unrest. Like, we've never heard of civil unrest before, right? Holy cow. Welcome to the show, Raziel. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. This is so great. Yeah, civil unrest. Do we know anything about that in, uh, what are we, July 27th of the year 2020? Uh, it's been COVID season, it's been demonstration season, it's been let's destroy cities season. So uh, you are probably in super high demand right now. So what, there's always going to be generations of kind of trends of violence and different types of issues that are going to be like going on throughout the world. And uh, for a long period of time, we were having the issues with active shootings. So that was kind of where all the popularity was, where we were receiving a huge amount of calls. Every news agency and news site was talking about a new active shooting that happened in their area. Anything that had a gun related into it, they just reported as an active shooting. And now because of the pandemic and because people were in quarantine for such a long period of time, it's kind of um, upped the ante for now having a huge amount of civil unrest. So a big part of our security assessment for a long time was talking about civil unrest, but it was always kind of thought of as like, this is not something that's going to happen for a very, very long time. And it turns out it happened much sooner than any of us hoped it would. Mm -hmm. It's so true. Brazil, with all the COVID stuff that's going on right now, you know, there's been a big, big boom on gun sales right now. A lot of new owners that have never owned a gun before. And can you explain to them how, why it's important to get training? So there's a huge amount. When I say huge amounts, from uh, my understanding, in the past few months alone, we've had over 19 million background checks done um, in the last few months alone, which to my understanding, obviously at this point, it's probably significantly higher. And based on what I was seeing, this is a U.S. history record of most firearms sold ever. I think this, this year alone, every single month was beating every month in U.S. history in the past for the amount of firearms sold. And that's an amazing thing that shows that the Second Amendment, uh, Amendment community is growing. Uh, it's getting stronger. There's no lack of availability of firearms and people understand now the, the importance and uh, ability to be able to get it and the process it takes to go through it. And um, 
the the issue is that there's a lot of new firearms owners that have maybe the mentality that I have a gun now, let me keep it under my bed. If there's ever an issue, I'll take it out and I'll deal with whatever I need to deal with. When they don't understand the amount of work it takes to make sure to have proper fundamentals, proper safety habits, and not making the statistic of accidental discharges go up just because you just recently purchased one. So uh, having proper training is absolutely an essential thing that must happen. Right. Absolutely. Holy cow. So what are some of the, the main questions that you hear people ask uh, when they come to you, whether they're brand new first-time gun owners or whether they've been in it for a long time? Is there kind of a, a, a core series of questions that people arrive with? The two, well, I have three very popular questions being asked to me. The first question is, how do I, uh, how do I obtain a gun? So that question does vary because we have like um, uh, people that are calling us all over the United States. So state to state, the laws are different of how to be able to obtain them. So suddenly people in California who always thought it might be a kind of smooth sailing process realize it might not be the case. The other question I get, which is the, 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 two, the two following questions that I get, which are very common and very entertaining yet uh, sad at the same time is, first of all, can I borrow a gun? And unfortunately, that's not something we're able to do. And it's just the way the laws are set up. And even to close family members, it's not so simple just to hand them over a gun because even if you want to do it to make sure they're safe, you want to make sure their fundamentals are up to par because you don't want them to get hurt based on training that they don't have. Mm-hmm. And the other question I got, which is also very entertaining to me, is could you tell me about the gun show loophole and how can we obtain a fire illegally? I said, that's unfortunately something I have to tell you that doesn't exist. And um, you're going to have to go through the process just like everyone else and make sure you get it at a firearm and go through the legalities just like everyone else. But they're like, yeah, but let me know because I, like, I know you, you know me. Let me know how can I get a gun? A different way. And I was like, like, I'm glad you're asking because now you know that's not how that works. Even during a pandemic, it's not how that goes. That is so funny. And, you know, we have a gun shop. We have AZ Firearms here in Arizona. And, you know, we have had some people, they, they've gotten frustrated because maybe the, the background check system, the NICS background check system it has been down, overwhelmed with, with requests and, and that sort of thing. But here in Arizona, we don't have waiting periods. We don't have, you know, to go where you have to get a, a FOID card before you can get a, you know, a concealed carry card and then finally get a gun. We don't have any of that, but we still have had some people get frustrated with, wait a minute, I am a perfectly law-abiding citizen. Maybe I've served my country. I'm upstanding, you know, moral member of society. I can't just go home with this thing that I purchased just like every other thing that I purchased. So I can only imagine what the conversations are like in places like California and New Jersey and New York and places like that where their brain is probably like, okay, what's the secret password, right? Wink, wink. There's got to be a way because the news is telling me constantly that it's, I mean, I think even one of our past presidents, I think even Obama said that it's easier to get a gun than fruit. Let's get or, a book. I think it was a book. Yeah, yeah. Just buy it online. Just buy it's it online. It's like, uh, where? Because I don't know yeah. this place. So you could also imagine for people in California, we have the 10-day waiting period. And that means you have to book an appointment because you have to know when to come in. Then you come in being a first-time gun owner, not having that much knowledge, and realize you have to go through a test. After you get a test, you have to go through a background check. After you go through a background check, you have the 10-day waiting period. After the 10-day waiting period, you have a basic uh, weapons manipulations test. After that, you make sure to get fingerprinted. After you get fingerprinted, then you can take it home. 
But doing that in a process of constantly making more appointments in order to be there and then coming back 10 days later to make an appointment in order to obtain it. And even people like um, members of our military where an 18-year-old who just came out of the military, the 19-year-old who just came out of the military and now wants to obtain a firearm in California realizes that, first of all, in California, to be able to get a, a rifle or a pistol, you have to be 21 years old. And besides for that, you still need to go through the regular 10-day waiting period in order to be able to obtain one. So suddenly things are changing around where they realize it's really not that simple. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm hoping that people take that new found information and knowledge and frustration and start voting differently because our, our Bill of Rights in our Constitution is the only place that our founding fathers wrote shall not be infringed, right? Your right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And we have let that line slip so far off the mark that I'm hoping that maybe we can start bringing that back. So, Brazil, the, uh, uh, the new gun owner that just came in and bought a gun, how much training, when is, that, is there ever enough training? Absolutely not. So I recently just went to another class uh, to be able to keep myself up to par. And I try at a minimum, at a minimum, minimum, to go to one very big class every single year to uh, at least get either a new a set of knowledge or a new set of understanding or to refresh myself on other knowledge. At the same time, you have to go to the range a minimum three times a month just to be able to keep yourself um, into your training standard because people don't realize that using a gun is nothing like riding a bike. If you're a kid and you learn how to ride a bike, your father teaches you how to ride a bike and he pushes you down the street and you learn how to pick it up, pretty much for the rest of your life, you can get back onto that bike and figure out the controls really quickly. When it comes to firearms, it's absolutely not the case. Um, after a month of not doing training, you could see your your manipulations and your habits um, drop dramatically to the point that you might not be as proficient as you thought you were to the point that a lot of guys who are not doing uh, dry fire practice at home during the pandemic came back to the range and were wondering why their groupings spread out significantly further than they thought they would. And then they get a malfunction and forget how to clear it just because it wasn't a part of their natural training habit. So even for me as an instructor, I consider it to be very important that I go to the range as often as I can and go to other instructors to see what else I could learn or what else I could add or see if there's something I'm doing wrong and maybe I could edit for my classes. So especially for a new firearms owner who doesn't have that much background, doing more, definitely more than I am to just get to standard of where you want to be is extremely important. And that was the thing that we were discussing with a lot of people of what's considered to be an essential business. If we have over 19 million new background checks being done and the majority of those being new firearms owners, so they have a live weapon inside their home that they don't have any training on, that would seem like a pretty essential thing that would need to be dealt with and that they need to have at least some basic level of understanding in order to not have an issue for themselves, let alone other people. Mm -hmm. right, the basics uh, should be learned before you even take it out of the box. In fact, Absolutely. you might even want to take a class before you buy a gun. Mm -hmm. So that's right. something we did actually recommend that it does vary uh, like state to state, obviously the associated legalities. But uh, a part of the reason why I tell people to do that as well is I said, there's a lot of misconceptions about uh, sizes of firearms or types of firearms you might want to use for home defense. And suddenly a 110 pound framed, a small framed individual will get a 12 gauge shotgun with full power loads. They might realize that that's not ideal for a home defense situation as opposed to let's say a nine millimeter carbine, which is not obviously the most ideal weapon for home defense, but it might be a better option that you can be more accurate with than trying to take control of a full size, a full size 12 gauge. So being able to also see different styles and see different options and what, what might work best for you is also better. So you'll be able to try those out before, before purchasing. So you also make your purchase more worthwhile. Right, and like uh, riding a bicycle, learning to ride a bike, you know, if you fall, you uh, get scuffed up, you get back on the bike, but uh, firearm accidents are unforgiving. 
And uh, people really need to know strong, basic training just to be, have the responsibility to own a gun in your house. You need that. So you right? should see that even during the class. We, I had a class a little, a little bit ago. And during that class, we had a few people who were new firearms owners that had accidental discharges in the middle of the class. So luckily during the class, when we set up the structure and the safety of the class, we're making sure everything's being pointed down range. So even if there is an accidental discharge, we make sure it's being sent in the right direction. But that shows that even in a class environment where we went over the rules and we practiced the fundamentals, there's still the ability that when it's not ingrained in your muscle memory for things to go wrong. So at least in that environment, it was an environment that was very monitored and carefully controlled. But if that was something happening in your own home, that would clearly not be the best outcome for anyone. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, train, 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 and train some more. I, that's what I'm hearing you say. So I want to ask um, kind of two questions wrapped into one. The first one is, how did you get involved in this business? And then the second one has to do with your moniker, the tactical rabbi. And, uh, you know, the, the fact that you've, you've kind of used that moniker helps us understand that there's something a little unusual about a rabbi or maybe even someone in the Jewish community that is, you know, a firearms owner and a proponent of other people, uh, you know, taking on that responsibility to be their own immediate responder. So I grew up in a, in a family that's all about charity. My parents have an organization called Global Kindness. We help uh, over 2,000 people in LA and thousand pe thousands more around the world. We even recently sent over 14,000 pounds of clothing to Ghana and Central America to help other people around the world. Um, I always grew up around uh, charity and giving back and pursuing and loving peace and trying to um, give, the more you give, the more we could um, bring more happiness and more love into the world. And that was always something I grew up with that was very important. Um, a part of that organization, unfortunately though, is that we do deal with a lot of people who have some psychological or psychiatric issues um, to some form or fashion. So um, if we're dealing with people who are literally on their last limb looking to try to figure out how to get food day to day, um, and they're coming to us as kind of like their 911 service to be able to help them, um, then we deal with a lot of very chaotic cases. Uh, before I even turned 18, we had 14 attempted break-ins and two attempted murders on my family uh, just because mm. of the work that we do. So we've had a lot of, lot of uh, interactions of things that were going to be very dangerous. And that was obviously before I was 18, before I was able to obtain a firearm. And those were the kind of moments that we were just hoping for the best because we couldn't really figure out what our options were. Uh, obviously, also a big part of our training is talking about de-escalation and understanding the type of situation you're getting into and making sure we could deal with those things accordingly and in the way that we could do with the best of our abilities. But being in those moments, having kind of a thought of, I know I could still be protected to some extent is, is very comforting. So after I turned 18, I started studying more about firearms and getting really involved. Um, I, I was involved in firearms since I was 12 years old, but getting into the more serious understanding of it was after I was 18 and really developing knowledge and skill set. I understand that there is the, the famous line that's kind of thrown around is don't mistake my kindness for weakness. Uh, just because we're looking to help the people in the world doesn't mean that we're going to be victimized based on those understandings. And then another thing that was kind of based on to the second part of the question of uh, being a rabbi, one of the very common questions I get is how can a rabbi kill someone? How can a rabbi be involved in something that's in um, firearms based? So there is a famous commandment that we have the obligation to protect ourselves. We're not allowed to be victims. We're not allowed to be victims to our families. Our obligation is to protect them to the best of our ability. The number one mistaught commandment in the Bible is thou shall not kill. It's not thou shall not kill. It's thou shall not murder. If we have the obligation to protect ourselves and we need to protect our community, obviously we want to talk about de-escalation. We want to do the best that I can to not get to that extent. However, if it does come to that extent, we need to do whatever it takes to make sure to protect ourselves and to protect our families and to protect our communities. 
That is so well said. And I, I agree with you that people get kind of locked up. Um, you know, we're Christians. And so even in the Christian community, people get locked up on, no, we're supposed to be pacifists. We're supposed to, you know, kind of lay down and, and, and paint a yellow stripe down the middle of our back so people don't run over each other, you know, bump into each other running <laughs> over us. And that is not uh, that is not the example that I've ever seen in in the scriptures that that I've read and and in um, you know the example of, of Jesus and uh, and that sort of thing and that that commandment that is one that you are so right it's and it's hurt people who have tried to go and serve their nation you know serve their country and in the armed forces and they're like but wait a minute I'm not supposed to kill no there's a difference in in what's in your heart when that's happening, whether it's uh, killing or murdering, and the, the commandment is against murder. Thank you so much for, for really encapsulating that. And so um, one of my good friends, I don't know if you've met him, but Yehuda Reamer, he goes by the, the kind of screen name, the Pew Pew Jew. Have you met Yehuda? I haven't met him. I have heard of him. He's awesome. I love him. Uh, it, he... Um, you know, he has talked to us a lot about how he grew up in a completely anti-gun environment um, and that it was really based in, in the Jewish faith. And so uh, to us on the outside, you know, we're like, wait a minute, how can someone be of the Jewish faith and see what had happened in World War II and with the Nazis and not realize that they have to have their, their own tool of self-defense um, and of course, that's a very nuanced and very detailed history that, that there's no simple answer. But um, when you were realizing for yourself and your family that you needed to, to have this level of immediacy in your self-defense, did you encounter any um, pushback? Did you encounter any difficulties? Um, what was your path like? So we did absolutely run into people that were very against the concept. I, I grew up in a pro-Second Amendment family, but we didn't have uh, guns around us or didn't grow up with them, but we did support the idea of being able to have them. Uh, and then once I started getting more involved in it, there's always going to be some kickback. Now, there were two types of kickback. One type of kickback were from people who they were kind of talking on behalf of their community, meaning since they were a rabbi or a Jewish leader or non-Jewish leader, meaning based on any house of worship, but their community was more liberal. They didn't want to damage their own reputation when it came to their facilities. However, those people did come and train with me before to get firearms knowledge, but they kept it very low key just because they understood the importance of having it, but they didn't want the community to know. So that's actually very, very common that there's a lot of people that I'm not allowed to speak about that have trained with us that are doing it in a way of being very low key. And what's interesting is actually, this is actually kind of more comical on our side, is that I'll, I'll often recommend different holsters and different platforms for them to carry um, with the hope that they don't get caught because that could be very bad for them. But it is also a very good test because um, they understand that the importance of concealing and doing it properly is very, very important to the reputation. So we actually almost kind of run social experiments to see what kind of holsters work best for us just to make sure that the level of concealment to the reputation. So there's a lot on the line, um, but that was actually kind of interesting. Um, the other type of people we had were people that them themselves belie believed that um, it's not good for a Jewish person to own a gun, or it's not good for a Christian person to own a gun. It's not; a, it's against what we believe in. And they were often people who didn't really understand the background of the importance. And a lot of them, there was a few that actually came up to me. I've I've had a few people that were very much like that who 
during the riots when they broke out realized that their car was being smashed in by a person right next to them and they suddenly realized like this not well that's not fair we need an equalizer to be able to to make it fair for me so i think the famous one of the famous jokes in the gun world is um, god created man and henry colt made them equal so having a firearm is a very beneficial thing that for someone who's not a fighter and doesn't want to be a fighter. They don't want to get into a confrontation. They don't want to get into a violent encounter. But having some form of, of equalizer to make things fair, or not fair, just make things controlled, is something that's very valuable. Absolutely. And it might have been Jeff Cooper, another uh, you know, big-time great, uh, said, if you find yourself in a fair fight, you're doing it wrong, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> so yep. Take every advantage you possibly can. Don't be the aggressor. But definitely come to it with the, the mindset that, you know, I'm going to find the advantage in this situation. So, well, this has been really awesome. And I know that you are probably uh, knee deep in uh, classes and appointments and things to, to people to go and train. So I won't keep you much longer. But um, we were talking off air that you, uh, you grew up in California, not a super gun friendly place. And now that we're in the middle of this crazy time of COVID, you find yourself in New Jersey, not especially a gun-friendly place. And uh, earlier you were driving through New York, not a great gun-friendly place. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of, there are a lot of people out there that say, if you're a gun owner, what are you doing in a place that's so hostile to you? You should just get out of there and move to a friendlier state like Arizona, where we live. Um, and I like it when I hear the reply that, well, you know, if we all, if all the good people leave, then what, you know, what's going to be left? Um, but wh why are you, <laughs> why are you in these places that are so, it's so unfriendly to something that is fundamental to protecting your one and only God-given life? So there's, there's two answers to that. There's, there's the one answer is that for if you're a person who is of some form of religious faith, faith whether it be uh, Christianity, whether it be Judaism, one thing you often look for is not just where can I go to, because you also want to make sure that you're surrounded by a community that you want to be a part of, and it makes sense for your kids eventually to grow up with that same mindset. So having the mindset of I'm just going to leave is not always that simple just because you want to make sure that the environment you're going into is also going to be good for long term, of not just your Second Amendment rights, but your re religious beliefs. Um, so I'm not saying it's not possible, but that's usually a factor that people have to take into consideration before deciding that they want to do that. Uh, the other aspect is, as we know, is that once the more weaker slash not, not two-way uh, two friendly states uh, fail, from there is when it expands and goes into the states that we would assume to be uh, friendly. So even states that we thought initially were friendly during the pandemic and during the riots suddenly started to show more of their, their actual skin and just realize that they're not actually where we thought they were. So being able to be in these communities and training people that are very pro second amendment, but they just ha don't have the ability or the capacity to be able to go to a state that they would want to live in and having these people trained to the proper level is very important because that's kind of like our outer wall of, of protection, our deterrence level, that as long as that's fortified to a proper extent, hopefully it won't get into the other states that we'd want to preserve to the best of our ability. Absolutely. That's so well said. There's this meme I've seen out there that is uh, some guys in a boat, right? And so one end of the boat has a hole in it and it's filling with water. And then the guys sitting, you know, 
on the dry end of the boat are saying, ha, I'm sure glad we're on this end of the boat, not realizing yep. that it's all going to go down. So yep. we, we don't have a safe place to sit and laugh and poke fun at others. We all have to be engaged in, um, you know, expressing what's important to us and, and talking to our spheres of influence. And none of the states, all 50 states, none of them are, are as free as they were 20 years ago. Man, that's the truth. They're all being attacked. That's the truth. Well, Raziel, thank you so much for all that you do. Tell folks how they can uh, follow you, maybe actually reach out to you for training and, and uh, you know, get to meet you in person. So the best way right now is, is probably going to be uh, through Instagram because right now we're having so many classes booked so quickly uh, that we're just trying to keep people updated on where things are happening. So you could just look up the Tactical Rabbi and try to find me on the Tactical Rabbi. Uh, if you want to go to our website and see if you want to book a class or just reach out to me directly, um, you could go to ndftraining.com, ndftraining.com. That's probably where you'll be able to check if classes are available or if you want to just reach out to me directly if you have any questions. If you have any questions about firearms questions or state legalities or anything like that or you want a recommendation on a firearm, you can always reach out to me and I'll do the best that I can to help you guys out. That's awesome. And NDF stands for? National Defensive Firearms Training. That'll help people remember. Awesome. Thank you so much for all you do. We will definitely be uh, following your journey and reaching back out and finding out what's new and different in your world another time in the future. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye Bye -bye now. So the lesson learned is that if you want to fight for what's right, you have to go into the battlefield. And where's the battlefield right now? California. New Jersey, Seattle, New York, Where else? Washington, Washington State. Um, did you say or Oregon? Because I, I don't really know what their gun laws are like, but um, I mean, Portland right now, they're having riots <clears throat> in Portland. They're having riots in Seattle, which you right. said Washington. And I cannot imagine living in these places and maybe living near or having a business near where there's all this unrest and saying, well, it's okay because it's you never know, happen here. I'll just, yeah, it'll never happen here. And it's okay because I'll just call 911. Well, wait a minute. Where are the riots taking place around the police stations? Right. Because they're trying to defund the police and make it harder. And if not impossible for the police to respond. And I mean, I, I just, if you've already it, especially if you're someone who was part of voting those restrictive laws over your own head because you were thinking about some other guy over there that you wanted his behavior to be controlled and now you're facing the consequences of having placed those laws over your own head i feel so bad for your situation um and i do hope that that you'll make some changes in the future in the way that you interact with your elected officials and interact with the laws and interact with our bill of rights. Right. So, you know, keep in mind, so, you know, they're battling New Jersey. It's, it's become a really war zone for our rights right now as many other States, but like in Arizona, you know, you could say we're a free state, but we're not. And we're one, one click away from even being in worse shape. We have an organization here called the AZCDL. Arizona Civil Citizens, Citizens Defense, Defense League, League. Mm -hmm. that work every single day of the week to help fight for our rights. And sometimes it's not enough. 
And so it's easier to fight a battle in Arizona than it is to fight a battle in New, New Jersey because New Jersey is so filled with anti-gun people right now, anti-rights people. They've moved that so, line but they're moving so here. far off from what right. our founders had and intended. The people in California that don't like what's going on in California are moving to Arizona with those same beliefs that we don't have a right to have a gun, which doesn't make sense because it's all the core. I mean, if you look at, if we just followed this constitution 100%, then these cities and states wouldn't be in the shape that they're in right now. They're disregarding a lot of those uh, rights. And so that's what makes the city or state what it is. And so we have to fight for all of those. And we can't say, well, it's okay to let one thing go because we've got this. We need to fight. And Arizona is a battle zone right now. It's not as hard a battle as politically speaking you're talking we're not having the the riots in the same ways that these others are talking about we have to fight for our right to keep our rights you're right and that and and how what is that battleground but that battleground is we and we have an election coming up a big one right not just local but also national um presidential election but you have to be educated on who you vote for on what issues you're voting for that's part of the battleground because we always hear people well why don't we recall so and so right somebody was elected and they're not doing their job why don't we recall them that's almost impossible how about we just don't vote those people in in the first place maybe we don't election every two and every four every four years but every two years so keep this in mind i mean arizona look at the states that are we're going to call um red states Okay. Red meaning uh, Republican, Republican leading, GOP states. leading, Let's look at those conservative states. leaning. I don't know of any that are out of control riots. I don't know of any that are out of control taking people's property away. But then, so we kind of follow the Constitution. Most likely, you know, we follow the Constitution. So then let's go to Seattle. Well, if you don't have the right to protect yourself with your firearm, look what they can do. Look what they're doing in Seattle. Look what they're doing in Portland right now. They're doing this because they know we can't defend ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, there's a lot of issues there, but I think that is definitely part of it. And um, those those are tricky things, those, those places of unrest and riots, because the news is focusing quite a bit on the protesters, the rioters who are showing up with some form of firearms. And I think that that is part of that painting a narrative that gun owners are these violent people looking for trouble. Be wary of that. Keep your thinking caps on, critically listen and critically think about the information that you're being given especially if you're one of our, our listeners and our viewers that is really kind of on, on the middle to the, I'm not so sure about this gun thing. Uh, I'm not so sure about these gun people. Really pay attention to how the information that we call news, in air quotes, is being prepackaged and given to you. See what kind of emotions rise up in you when you see certain imagery and just pay attention that you're not being manipulate they're trying to manipulate you i mean i will tell you that right now it's not a conspiracy theory to say that you know whatever information you're being given every commercial is trying to manipulate you right into 
thinking you need this product. And the stuff we see on the well, news, the fact that you can say that the CNNs and the MSNBCs are one thing, how, you know, you don't even have to label it. They're just one thing. And then like the uh, One American News Networks and, and the Fox Network maybe are another thing, whatever that other thing right. is. Why would that be? Why would they be so different? It's because their messaging, the things they focus on are different. There's got to be a layer of manipulation in there to, uh, to either feed what you think you already know so you feel right or to maybe sway you to go one way or another. Just be aware. That's right. all. And look at Wisconsin. I think it's was it Wisconsin where the couple defended their house. With no, the that was uh, St. Louis, Missouri. Missouri. Okay. So, you know, they're, they're trying to make these people look like they're bad people. Yeah. They were defending their home. Right. And should we not have a right to defend our home? It's not like he went with those guns to them. They came to him, to his house and threatened his house. Right. So, but, but they're making him the bad guy. Right. And <laughs> so here's the hard thing. So the people that hate guns and hate people that own guns, they've got a whole list of reasons why he and his wife are bad. And then people that, that are on the, the side of gun ownership and the second amendment, there's a whole list of reasons why they're upset with this couple because, you know, they were pointing the guns in an unsafe way. And turns out maybe they weren't even properly functioning firearms sure. and that sort of thing. So they've got hate from everywhere. And I think lost in that is what you are trying to say. Here's what I'm trying to say, Cheryl. How many people do you know that used to be anti-gun, mm -hmm. but became victims mm -hmm. and immediately went to firearms training and learned how to defend themselves saying, I will not be a victim anymore. Yes. How many times have we heard that story? Yes, many, 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 many times, right? Mm -hmm. And so these people that are telling the people that's in St. Louis, they're bad for what they do. Wait until it's at their home. Wait till it's at their home. Amen. Amen. And let's just be prepared for that and trained for that and have properly functioning firearms. And we understand uh, the laws and we understand firearm safety um, because it's not enough just to have a gun or several, uh, but to respect their power and, training. and to get the training and training. make it a family affair. That's one of the things that I loved about this is that they were each other's security detail, um, you know, and so involving your family members. Uh, because a lot of times it would just be one or the other, maybe that is the one that got the training and knows firearms and, you know, they well, were acting in, in concert and acting as a team. And I think that that's a force multiplier and can be a really uh, wonderful and beautiful thing to protect your, protect your home and protect your, your loved ones um, through a, a responsibly armed and part of the responsibility armed is trained Training, um, training response okay hey we gotta you know, go. it's time to pray for our nation it is it's time to pray for our rights mm -hmm. we need to pray for our rights uh gotta thank our listeners but we have to thank our guests too thank our guests we don't have to we the want tactical to thank rabbi yeah. what a yeah. cool name oh it is it's awesome and you know how much is a service like his needed nowadays i mean you look at what yeah. happens it's 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 wonderful and you know, the, one of the things about uh, this, the training and stuff, you don't know you need it until you need it. Mm. So Get it first. <laughs> right. But, but having the training, sometimes the criminal, the, the, the attacker, 
can sense that you are not just some fool that the way you stand, the way you look, the way the training will give you all of these things. And the criminal is going to go for the weakest link. Mm -hmm. So if they see you alert, watching your surroundings, being close to your family, maybe he's got a gun. You know what? There's a guy over there that's on his phone and he's, he's looking for his car keys and he's fiddling around much better target. I'll leave this guy alone. Same thing in your church, same thing in any type of business you have, that if they walk in and they see that you have security and you have this and that, big difference, right? And I swayed away from where we're praying. Absolutely. Well, it's all great information, but yes. So thank you to our awesome listeners. Thank you to our amazing guest, uh, Raziel Cohen, the tactical rabbi. You can find him at ndftraining.com. And as Dan said, this, uh, man, we need prayer. We are really in a... She listened to me. We are in a season. I mean, I think where there's always spiritual warfare. And if you're not a, if you're not a person of faith, then just think about the American spirit right? There is a spiritual warfare going on out there. Um, and if you are a praying person, then please uh, engage in that, you know, faith-based spiritual warfare through and prayer. I, and I think they're taking prayers 24-7, aren't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's 24/7. no 24-7, 365. Dan hates that. <laughs> so yes. Um, and yeah, pray for our leaders. All of them? All of them, Dan. Even the ones you don't like. I'm going to do that for you. Good. Especially the ones you don't like. Hey, everybody. Have a great week. Be good to each other. And God bless. Bye-bye.